we're here with uh, Kevin Dunn on Power and Witness, and you have made a documentary, uh, Fatal Flaws, Legalizing Assisted Death, and you look at, uh, in Europe and North America, this movement of euthanasia or assisted suicide, and I just wanted to talk to you to find out the scope of the problem and kind of what's going on and solutions maybe uh, that you think we should pursue. Um, it's great to be here. Thank you for yeah. having me. So maybe first, let's talk about the genesis of the documentary. Oh, well, uh, you know, I never thought that, I, that I'd be doing what I'm doing right now, you know, speaking on this subject, uh, actually all around the world. It's uh, sometimes I wake up and I go, wow, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a film director and a film producer and, and documentaries, done biographies and that kind of stuff and, and history and dinosaur mummies and Discovery Channel. Um, but th this whole this whole idea of uh, of of assisted suicide and um, and euthanasia came to light in my country, Canada, um, around 2016 uh, when the law was struck down. Um, it was formerly a uh, formerly a uh, an offense in the criminal code, murder. Um, I believe it still is, but because the law has changed and now it's called medical aid in dying. Uh, we've 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 accepted this as some sort of a, uh, a a medical practice now, and that disturbed not just me but but a number of people, including uh, my colleague Alex Schadenberg of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition. And um, I wanted to do a film. He wanted to do a film, and so we we joined together. The first film we did was uh, was the Euthanasia Deception. Um, which actually a version of that ran on EWTN called Vulnerable. And um, uh, we were just blown away by, by what was happening in Belgium, uh, which is what the, uh, the, the, the documentary focused on. And then, after, we, because we were so blown away by, by the, by the uh, incremental expansions of the law and, and what was happening to the culture in Belgium, we decided we would do a second film called Fatal Flaws, which takes us through the Netherlands, these are kind of ground zero of the euthanasia movement. Uh, the Netherlands, throughout the U.S. and, uh, and Canada uh, to, to ask two really important questions. The first, should we be giving doctors the right in law to end the life of another individual? Should we be doing it? And, and second of all, what do these, these laws do to the culture over time? You know, when, what gets into the house of medicine and kind of the thought process of the nation when it comes to the dignity of the human person? Because really what these laws do is they kind of draw a line in the sand saying you can access death if you have these conditions uh, and if you don't meet those conditions, well, your life is, is, is worthy of living. And so when you draw a line in the sand like that, you're bound for, for, for ethical and moral pitfalls, uh, abuse and misinterpretation. Uh, and let's face it, we're not really strong as human beings. Right. Um, and so therefore, um, the discussion really needs to be had. Are these laws a good thing? Right. And, and you just, you can think like an infant can't speak, talk, walk, or not fully rational yet. Obviously, we recognize, especially like a, a born infant, sadly, it takes that in this country. But, um, you know, the value and dignity of life that, you know, as Dr. Sue said, a person is still a person, no matter how small. How small you bet, yeah. <laughs> and I think even at the end of life, you say, yeah, grandma, maybe she 
is slipping mentally or has dementia, but grandma's still there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, I think too, it's good to tell people, I think, kind of the basic teaching on the church on medical ethics is that you know, we're not required at all costs to like keep a corpse alive or something, or even medical treatments that are burdensome and prolonged. You you can you don't have to go maximum cancer treatment. Nope. You don't have to stay That's on. That's not what this is about. Yeah, no. you don't have to stay on a ventilator or whatever. It's no. burdensome and we stuff. We weren't meant to, to live forever right. in this world. In, right. in this world. Right. So yeah, the church is teaching that you not you do not have to absolutely maximize life in terms of all available medical technologies and no. whatever it, it takes. No. So we get that out of the way. Yeah, that's a really, really important thing <laughs> yeah. to get out of the way. Uh, because a lot of people think that, oh, you Catholics just want people to live forever. Mm-hmm. No, the, the real the real crux to the matter is, is a lot of people think this is about those very few cases at the very end of life when people are in intolerable suffering and the only, quote, uh, rational or, or, or um, compassionate, quote, thing to do is to end their life. When the reality is, and this is what I found around the world, is that these laws are affecting people in their 70s, 60s, at 30s, and, and in, mm. in, in different parts around the world, even babies are euthanized. Mm. And, and so we've got this situation where quality of life, because sickness can happen at any age, you know, mm. sickness, disability can happen at any age. And when you have inadequate health care or, um, uh, you know, you don't have the palliative specialists in the hospital to make sure that, that pain is being managed. And by all accounts, and this is another thing that we've got to get out of the way too, is every single palliative care specialist I've talked to say they can manage every pain. Every single, we're talking physical pain here, mental mm-hmm. is a little different, but every physical pain can be managed. Now, it might take a little while to get the right medicine right. together, the right. right the right cocktail, if you will. Mm-hmm. But every, every, um, uh, there's no pain that cannot be managed, physical pain. Even in the worst cases, those worst cases we hear about in the media can still be managed uh-huh. by uh, palliative sedation. And so this law, these this access to this whole assisted suicide and, and euthanasia in different countries and states around the world, can, can be accessed by virtually anyone who qualifies under the law, no matter what the age. Yeah. And, you know, I remember a point in, back in seminary, too, about, you know, treating pain and trying to manage it, you know, as best we can, that, you know, that can, that helps healing and everything. If you don't have this huge distress of pain, you know, your body, more relaxed, can heal better. So it's a good thing to try to, you know, to treat the pain and help the person. Absolutely. But, you know, what I found really interesting, uh, Father Mark, as I traveled throughout the world and and looked at the studies, um, studies that had been done by the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition, by different organizations around the world, and even secular, uh, secular reports say that it is not necessarily about pain. The the main reasons why people are asking for uh, an assisted death is fear of future pain, fear of uh, becoming a burden, fear of losing my autonomy. So, so these are the three big top reasons. Actually, physical pain, I'm in so much pain that I really need a doctor to end my life or somebody to end my life, actually falls down like 22, 23 on the list. 
it usually it's about fear. And I think to myself, what's the what's the number one um, phrase in the New Testament? You know, mm. be not afraid. Right. So, you know, we we have become a culture wrapped in fear. And and of course, these are these are difficult times for people when, when they're ill or when they've been diagnosed yeah. with a terminal illness. But in in Belgium, for example, I talked to an oncologist who said. The majority of people who have terminal illness, they don't want to go for treatment. They want euthanasia right away. So they, yeah. they, they're giving up hope. Right. And what we need to do is, yeah, get better health care. Absolutely. Get, make sure you get people's, um, get people's pain managed and, and give them the support they need. Proper, proper palliative care, which looks at all of the different facets of care you know, from body, mind, and spirit, but also the advocacy that the people, you know, um, to be with these people, to fight for these people. Um, And that's what we're lacking right now. And I would think too, part of that, big part of that fear that, you know, maybe a person facing it would think, oh, I have to go it alone. Right. I don't have somebody to walk. Loneliness is a big part of this. Yeah. And then, so you can see, I like, I think of like the causes the roots of it maybe that you know is family breakdown marriages breakdown less people getting married fewer kids a lot more loneliness yes and, yes. and I mean, that fam- yeah. that, you know you see that family culture around a person protects supports them and now like in some of these places you get this big government model growing especially yeah. like in the i always think of like european socialism and stuff and it seemed like those are the places where this stuff really thrives. Absolutely. And I, and I think, uh, you know, uh, Hippocrates, long before Christ, the Hippocratic Oath, uh, he, he knew that we humans were going to fall prey to that idea that, oh, man, my life is, my life is not worth living. Right. And that's why he put in the Hippocratic Oath, I will give no poison as a doctor. Even if you were to ask me for it, uh, you know, he knew back then. Right. You know, prior to, you know, Christianity, if you will, he knew back then that, that we humans, we couldn't trust ourselves. We need the medical institution to say, no, I will always be here to care for you. I will never end your life prematurely. He knew it back then. Now, the Hippocratic Oath, of course, has been changed in the 20th century, mm-hmm. sadly, um, mm-hmm. to not reflect those same type of uh, ethics, if you will, because you know, more and more our healthcare system has become democratized. It's like, well, you know, the World Medical Association, the American Medical Association, American Psychiatric Association, these, these huge medical bodies that, that we hold up with, with great revere for, for, for the doctors and nurses and, and medical professionals, these are, these are all institutions who are opposed, opposed to uh, assisted dying and, and euthanasia, assisted suicide. And yet, we disregard all of these institutions now. And many countries are saying, well, yeah, that's fine, whatever. But we want this law to go ahead anyway. It, right. it goes right back to Hippocrates. It's like, yeah. we, we, we can't trust ourselves to say, oh, we need this law because if I get to that certain point, I want a doctor to end my life. Yeah. So we should be listening, at least now, to these organizations like the American Psychiatric Association who's saying, hold up hold the phone. We are people who cure. We help people through their fear. We never end their life. 
Hmm. And this is a big thing that I didn't a lot of people are aware. That's the AMA's position. That is the a, uh, oh. APA's position and the American Medical Association uh, as well. Yes, they have uh, upheld their position. They were being, a lot of people are forcing them, well, you know what, become neutral on this. But, but a lot of people, they know that as soon as you go neutral, the next step is to yeah, accept. Yeah, yeah. So yes, we're still in a, a holding position with, with, uh, with a lot of these people. Yeah. Dr. Mark Comrade from the American Psychiatric Association, he is interviewed in, in, the, in the film. And he says, he compares it to handing a gun. You know, he says, yeah. a better image would be for me to hand a gun to my, uh, to my patient, a patient that I've sworn to protect I'm now being asked or, you know, the, the fears I will be asked uh -huh. to end the life of these patients as a method yeah. of treatment. Yeah. So just again, that we're clear, we're, we're, we're talking about like, giving a patient drugs that will take their life and that, you know, we can forego burdensome treatments, but we're talking about medically assisted suicide. So what, what did you see? Like, Maybe some worst cases like you saw in Europe or Canada that um, just I, I want to give the, you know, because, you know, I want to awaken the sleeping giant. Sure. In America, sure. the yeah. country I love. Well, I, it's a good thing because I had no idea what I was walking into. Yeah. I, I thought this was about those very few people end of life, you know, and the really, really difficult situations yeah. that, you know. Um, but what I, what I was finding was, um, you know, for example, in Canada, six months after this law was introduced a young woman by, by the name of Candace Lewis, who's lived with cerebral palsy and spina bifida for her whole life, in and out of hospitals. Her life has not been easy, but she's still one of the most joyful people I've ever met, Candace right. and her mother, Sheila. And six months after the law was introduced in Canada, mm -hmm. she went in and she was very sick one night and she went into the hospital. And two doctors tried to talk her and her mother into an assisted death. Now, this is not, uh, by the law, you're not allowed to even bring it up. But you can see already the medical profession kind of looking at this and seeing it as a, quote, treatment option. Well, well, Candace's mom, they said, no, no, this isn't, this, that's not what we want. I'm sorry, the law says you can't bring it up. You shouldn't bring up, um, it should come from the patient that oh. they want medical aid in okay. dying. But the law is permitting it. But the, you, the, well, they're not, the, permitting doctors us. are not supposed to bring up the the uh -huh. option of a medical it has to come from the patient first oh i see there should I be see. no coercion but the problem uh -huh. is and, and again we're not out to demonize doctors most doctors don't want to have anything to do with this but the problem is is when this when this ideology gets into the culture it gets into the mindset of the medical community and the public mm -hmm. well then what was once forbidden is now an option you know, the, mm -hmm. the, 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 the freedom, if you will, to suicide, which mm -hmm. has been a terrible freedom and something we've tried to fight for so long, that freedom with these laws now becomes a right. And when a freedom becomes a right, well, that implies somebody else has to, has to be involved. And who is mm -hmm. that person in this case? Well, it's the doctor or it's the nurse or the person who prepares the, co the, 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 the lethal medication, right. you know? And, and, and this is a point made by many people, including Dr. Mark Comrade um, of, the, uh, of the American Psychiatric Association. When the freedom to suicide, a terrible freedom, becomes a right, somebody else has to be involved. And that's the doctor, the nurse, the community, the family members in some mm -hmm. cases 
who have to provide this for for yeah. for, for a disabled member of their family. It, it's yeah. it's not a it's not a healthy uh, or, or or good practice. Did you ever did you see any numbers of number of assisted deaths in Europe or Canada? Or? Well, in Canada, since our law has been um, uh, what was put in place, we've seen over uh, six thousand. Um, and that's since 19, that's, sorry, that's since uh, uh, 2016 when the law was um, introduced. Um, but in some cases, it's risen over 50% a year in the numbers. So although, you know, the in numbers... In some countries, other countries? Yes, yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, but the, uh, even though the, the, uh, the numbers might be small, they're growing at an exponential rate so much so that in the Netherlands um, and in Belgium doctors are very concerned even doctors who are for euthanasia for for terminal illness are saying ho ho hold the phone uh, we've got a concern here especially in the cases of psychiatric euthanasia which is allowed uh, in those countries and being discussed uh, in Canada as well what does that mean psychiatric, psychiatric euthanasia um, well people who are suffering uh, suffering intolerably, if you will. And again, this is a personal type of thing. So if someone says, I am suffering intolerably because of my psychiatric illness, oh. um, I should be granted the same right as someone who's suffering terminal illness, and therefore I want access to this law. So we have seen the pendulum slide from terminal illness to psychological illness, such as the case um, in, in the film of Aurelia Browers. Uh, Aurelia was a young woman I met um, in, the, in the Netherlands who uh, um, she you know, told me in the interview she had psychiatric uh, uh, illness, but she wanted to die. And in the end, um, uh, well, her GP had said, no, we, well, we, we want you to try to continue to cope wouldn't grant her her request, if you will, uh, but she went to an end of life clinic. They have these end of uh, there's an end of life clinic, uh, who they say specialize. I interviewed the guy, he, the uh, executive director. He says we specialize in euthanasia. We're the experts, and they are the people who, if you can't get your answer from uh, that you want from from your uh, GP, um, they'll consider. They they say that they're the experts, and um, uh, they will review your case at a more expert level, if you will. And so that's where she, um, uh, she received her approval for her euthanasia. And during the, while I was editing the film, I, 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 was, I interviewed her and she died. She died mm. two weeks later at the, uh, you know, from, a, from a lethal injection of a doctor. She said in her psychological illness, she said to me, Kevin, if, if my... If my uh, if the doctor doesn't end my life, my, my illness will, meaning you know suicide. And it, it's messed up, Father. It's yeah. it's messed up when a twenty nine year old, a twenty five year old, uh, you know, well, it's messed up when any age uh, is accessing these laws based on fear and yeah. based on um, uh, you know in these cases psychological illness. Yeah, and we should say too. I think yeah, you know, like just the temptation to suicide can be so great and the, the church you know, I think obviously has great mercy and in the circumstances that a person would take their life you know they could not be thinking straight and all this so you know we don't obviously try to be pastoral and to respect that great temptation um, 
can be to end our life to escape the pain, yes. you know. Yes. And and so it's a call for us as Christians to end, you know, in, in fighting against this, not just legislatively, but to, as we were talking earlier, but just to to show up to help a person and you know to make them, you know, I, I think to you know like when a person dies, you know, it leaves such a loss. And even, you know, we can see maybe they're suffering and they, they die a natural death. And it's like you, you know, it's, it's a great consolation to us as Christians that they're in a better place and everything. But you still feel that loss, you know. And I think kind of sometimes we lose sight of that, you know, the value of our life. And we're contributing or whatever. We're more, we mean something to other people in a bigger way than we realize. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Know? And we can get that message out there, you know, yeah. as Christians. Well, that's why, you know, as I, as I speak around the world in this, um, uh, my, my mission is called Prophets of Hope. Uh, Father, I don't like talking about this particular issue. I don't think the human soul was meant for this type of issue. Obviously, it wasn't. But So my mission, I call it Prophets of Hope because of the hope that is ours in Christ. I love that. I love that um, that line from the Bible, that line from Psalms. You know, the, the one you're you're fearfully and wonderfully made, but you know, absolutely we are. But the second, in the second part of that, not but, but and the second part of that Psalm says, "All of your days were numbered before you even came to be. All of those days were numbered. I had all of your days planned, and yet we want to take th- those days off our lives uh, because of fear. And and what the Lord is saying to us is that." In those final days of our life, it won't be just us that's part of the situation, that's part of it. There'll be the doctor, the nurse, the family members who are gathered around, the healings that happen around bedsides. bedsides. I speak to palliative care doctors and nurses all around the world who say the most amazing moments, the most amazing forgiveness, the joy in families, that the coming together of families, the breaking of, 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 of long-standing um, differences, they melt away when, the, when, when people, when those visceral moments at the end of life come. And I mean, you can talk, I'm sure many of your listeners probably have that same experience around someone's deathbed, where all other things just seem to melt away. And the most important thing is, is love, is forgiveness, is, you know what, we're not here forever. And so the sufferer, if you will, as Mark, um, as uh, as uh, Archbishop Mark Coleridge talks about, the sufferer endures just a little bit longer for the mm-hmm. sake of those around them, and it's a beautiful thing to think about. And I think we have such a we're able to speak about it in a Catholic sense, in a Christian sense, in a much more deeper level, uh, just because we have such rich, rich um, gospel and and catechesis surrounding that whole idea that it's not about what we can do that makes us human and and loved by god it's about who we are as sons and daughters of god yeah yeah i think yeah those fundamental truths that are reminded there at the end of life yeah about yeah we reduce life to its value just productivity and things and um yeah and it's a you know i i've reflected too I was blessed to have three grandparents living in their 90s and and visiting them, you know, at the end of their life and stuff that, uh, you know, it's this opportunity to be committed to a person. Because oftentimes I think, like in American culture, 
you know, friends come and go, we move, change jobs all the time, and they pass, you know, family is there. And it's this opportunity and responsibility, hey, I'm committed to you, I'm gonna walk through this with you because you're family. And to see these things you just talked about, um, of love and forgiveness and the real value of life is just being a person, a child of God. And, um, you know, those things are, are so, so important. You know, I was recently at a, I got called to the hospital. I didn't know the man. He was falling away Catholic. I was there with the family and I was just going through the anointing. He was, um, I guess in a comatose, he was unresponsive. But I remember I was just at the end of it, you know, anointed him. And then I'm reading passages from scripture about heaven, you know, and, and simple faith, you know, to get us to heaven. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I was like so moved. And I, I remember after the room, the hospital room was full of family and I, I laughed and then I can think it was a granddaughter came out and just was like profusely thanking me. And I, I mean, I just did it by the book, you know, I sure. wasn't you know, <laughs> saying anything special. But it just profoundly moved me to be reminded that, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and life. You know, all who come to me and believe in me will never hunger, never thirst. You know, believe in me, you'll have eternal life. Believe in me, you'll have eternal life. Trust. Trust. You know, we can all believe. We can all have faith. Yes. You know, if you tell me I got to make a million bucks to get into heaven, I might not make it. (laughs) That's what our world kind of gives us the message, you know, of productivity. But, and this, the free gift of what, and Jesus' love for us. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that, I don't know, it is so, it does, like you're saying, it just preaches the gospel. Oh, so I loudly. think that these, these issues, this one in particular, are amazing, as horrible as they are, they're amazing vehicles for us to get out and be what we were called to be. And, that, and that's why I call my, my mission Prophets of Hope, because these laws and this ideology hits us, Father Mark, when we are at the lowest point of our life. When we need support, we don't need lethal medication. We need support. And so where does that support going to come from? Yes, it has to come from the healthcare system, but it also comes from the prophets of hope in our life who say, I will journey with you. The true meaning of compassion. Let's remember when they talk about, oh, this is the compassionate response to end the life. No, it's not. The compassionate response is, says, I will journey with you through this. I will be there every step of the way with you. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, will I? What, where will I be when I'm at the lowest point in my life? Will I reach out or will I give up in despair? If these laws are based on fear, yeah. if, if the main reason why people are asking is fear, I have, to, I have to get to that point where I reach out to the prophet of hope in my life. And then the big challenge for all of us healthy people, if you will, is to challenge ourselves to become that prophet of hope in the lives of those around us and the lives of our elderly mothers and fathers and the life of someone with a disability, going to pick uh, up some groceries for them or or spending an hour just chatting on the phone or visiting a nursing home or, or volunteering at a hospice center. These visceral moments of, of, of just service, Mother Teresa type service, where it's just you know, the everyday listening, being with people, these are the things that change the culture that, yeah, we can have these laws stare us in the face when we're at our lowest, but we won't have to look at them if we have those prophets of hope in our life. Yeah, yeah. So important. Yeah, and I, I think that's a great point to say again, you know, just the temptations when we're 
sick and ill. And that's why we don't judge people that have taken their own lives because the temptation can be so great. You're not, we're not supposed to do it according to God's law, but um, you know that temptation. And the church has the anointing of the sick. And I think sometimes there's a misunderstanding of it is that like the first purpose of that is to heal the person. And yes, we pray for a healing if it's according to God's will, but the first effect of that sacrament, it's one of the seven sacraments of the church, is to strengthen the person, you know, to help configure him to the suffering Christ in this, to be strengthened by the cross of Christ and Jesus himself, because he passed by the way of suffering to redeem us. Now, end of life suffering, or whenever we're seriously ill, suffering is, is a special sharing in his passion. And there's a connection between my weakened body and you know my my strength to fight temptation, yeah. to give up, to despair, not to have faith, not to turn to Jesus. So we have a sacrament, one of the seven sacraments, to strengthen us. And uh, so, you know, people need to avail themselves to that. The church draws close to those suffering. I I couldn't do the work that I do without the sacraments because, well, I mean, none of us can, right? We mm-hmm. we need the grace, the the grace that's poured out from the sacraments. Uh, we have no idea, and, and and yes, you're so right in the in the sacrament of the sick, the graces that are poured out that give us the courage, that give us the fortitude, that give us the um, the courage to to move on despite despite. And yes, life is going to have suffering. Yeah. We all have our cross to bear, mm-hmm. but how do we bear it? And if these laws and why people are asking to have their lives ended are solely based on fear, well, not solely, but the main reasons are fear, then, man, we know who conquered fear. We know who is the enemy of fear. Right. You know? You know? uh, And we know who the author of fear is as well. So it's it's a good mindset. It's a good reminder for all of us to kind of go take stock. Where will I be when I'm at the lowest point of my life? And how do we gird ourselves now so that we don't fall into temptation to say, you know what, I give up. Mm. We're yes, we're not meant to live forever, absolutely. But the Lord has numbered our days, and He has given us a certain. We, no doctor, Mm. no person, has the right to end those days prematurely. You know, Mm. in sound mind. Yeah, and I think yeah, our sick and suffering members of the body of Christ you know, witnessed to us such a powerful way. I, I remember one time I was getting ready for this big trip. I was on a pilgrimage to do this Footprints of St. Paul pilgrimage with a big group. And and I was I just had it like a bad cold. And I remember I was sitting in the Charlotte airport and I felt terrible. I, mean, I felt bad, cold bad. And I, 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 I seriously thought about just jumping on a plane and heading back to Birmingham. <laughs> and I was there. I remember it was this beautiful lobby area, whatever they call it, waiting for the plane. Nobody there, Holly, but there's this, this woman in a turban who had cancer. You know, she had her, lost her hair mm-hmm. and she watches EWTN and we just started talking. And she even had a daughter, an adult ch- daughter that was, I think, had cancer. And I and I, I remember her just telling me, it'll be okay. You know, mm-hmm. get on the plane. It'll be okay. <laughs> and I thought, but I remember I just like, Mark, you know, shut up and get on the plane. Because you're like, I'm talking to a woman who's got cancer right. and talking to has a daughter who has cancer. 
And I, she just strengthened me by her witness, yes. you know, of perseverance through suffering and things. And that it's, uh, I, I've just encountered that so many times, you know, seeing people's faith at the end of yes. life. We had a local person that I was so, I have never, I got to say that, like our nuns up in Hansville, cloister nuns, they have beautiful deaths. They, they, uh, they, I, you know, everything's fair game and temptation by God. So you can have all kinds of St. Therese had terrible temptations end of her life, whatever. But the, I've seen those nuns have such a peaceful passing. And our, my local friend here, a lay woman who died, uh, she just blew me away with her trust. Mm. And it was like, I, I feel like at the end of life, it's going to be like going into a big final exam. Am I really ready? You know, like, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but she just had this beautiful trust yes. that just like liberated me just to see her, Absolutely. you know? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and our, and our lady, you know, she, she knew all about trust. She, to be able to stand at the foot of the cross and trust yeah. and trust that this was God's plan for salvation. And, and, and I, I, I look at the Blessed Mother and I, I look at people like John Paul II, who in his weakness, in his illness with Parkinson's at the end of the life, he had no problem showing his weakness and, and, and stepping out onto the, onto the balcony, trying to utter a few words. He spoke volumes to people who are at the end of life, who live yeah, with disability. Yeah. My friend Mark Pickup, uh, Mark Davis Pickup from uh, from Alberta, Canada, he speaks. So he says, he says that spoke volumes mm -hmm. to people with disabilities to say, you know what? It's not about what we can do that makes us right. human. Right. It's about who we are as beloved sons yeah. and daughters of a God who loves us more than what could ever imagine. And that's where the trust has to be in these terrible moments of life. We wish things would change, yet God works miracles out of these yeah. horrible situations. Yeah. You know, the future of all this, too, to me is it's scary. You know, is I, you know, we wrestle a lot in America, you know, with the role of government and everything. And, and I think as the breakdown of the family and less support structure, and it's like there's a greater dependence on the government, I think, too, it, a loss of faith, you know, we kind of divinize our government and what it can do. And it winds up giving a lot of power to the government, you know, and they're, they're, they're going to make decisions based on efficiency or money, saving money or something like that. And not necessarily according to these gospel values. And look at China, you know, China just went up to the, they changed their one child policy to two child, but it's still not enough to yeah. get them out of, get them above replacement rate. So they have this huge aging population. Yes. Are they going to be the big euthanized? <laughs> have you done seen anything on that? Or well, I mean, I think all you have to do is, I mean, we're <laughs> you just got to look at the numbers and yeah. say, well, can a healthcare system manage that? Will we have the staff? Will we have the? Well, if these laws are being passed. Uh, Look at, look at in Canada and the U.S., only 30% of people have access to quality palliative care. 70%, where are they going when their pain can't be managed, when they don't have the support, when they don't have the palliative care specialists? Well, people are looking and they're, they're, looking, they're, and they're looking at these laws going, well, okay, maybe this is the easy way out. 
So it's um, I, I, I think it I think what you're saying I hate to be a, a, a doomsayer but it's um, if we're going to enact these laws the opportunity if you will for people to uh, end their life prior because of poor health care it's going to be a big temptation it, it yeah. already is yeah. yeah yeah but there's hope right all right there's hope <laughs> and we'll end with that note of hope of of being good Christians, helping people, support people, not yeah. let them make these decisions alone or something, and uh, and prayer, of course. So, well, thank you so much, uh, Kevin, for joining us. And again, your new movie documentary is Fatal Flaws: Legalizing Assisted Death. It's going to be shown on the network. It is going to be shown on the network. Um, and uh, uh, if people are interested, I, I am speaking around the world on this subject right now. My my website is uh, kevindunn.info. Um, I ask you to support uh, those organizations out there who are at the front of the line trying to do that. EWTN, Euthanasia Prevention Coalition. Um, uh, there's so many good people on the forefront. There's so many prophets of hope out there. And uh, that's where our hope lies. Yeah. And let me just follow up one thing on that. You, you yourself were surprised at all these invitations you got. Why do you think that is to speak on this issue? Because you've been into Europe all yeah, over, right? Yeah, yeah I, think, um, I think people are confused. And once they hear the truth about what these laws are about based right. on fear, yeah. um, the, 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 the public discourse changes when people realize this just isn't about those few people at the end of life, that this is about all of us. Yeah. It's like, wow, the church really knew what it was doing when it stood up against this right from the beginning. Right, right. And so um, I think it's happening more and more. More and more countries are adopting mm -hmm. these laws. And so people, people want to hear the truth. Yeah. Um, I think I look at you know, abortion. If we knew now, if we knew then what we know now right. about abortion, we would have been standing up. The whole world would have been standing up right. saying, this is crazy. Why do yeah. we, we will never introduce laws or strike down laws. And so I think people now go, ooh, they see the future of where this is headed, even yourself, you know, yeah, China, yeah, et cetera. Yeah. It's like, man, we got to do something now yeah. so that our children and our grandchildren aren't, this isn't part of their culture, right. you know. So, uh, so, yeah, there's lots of good people out there who, uh, uh, who see what the future holds and they want to become informed. And that's what we're called to do, have formed consciences. So, right. yeah. Happy to right. me. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you, Father Mark. Mm -hmm.